This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. In our second segment today, we'll be speaking again with an old pal of ours. That would be Gordon Uncle John Javna of the Bathroom Readers Institute, whose most recent edition, The Bathroom Reader Plunges Into Music, has all kinds of curious and fun stuff regarding uh, music, which we're going to happily talk to him about in segment two. Let's begin the show as we'd like to do with On This Date in History, which in our case today is May 8th. It was on May 8th in 1794 that Antoine Laurent Lavoisier, the French chemist who identified oxygen, was guillotined in Paris by the Revolutionary Convention. Apparently Lavoisier's role as a tax collector for the government earned him the enmity of the revolutionaries. Their cause was not advanced, however, by the murder of Lavoisier, nor was mankind's. On May 8, in 1886, Dr. John S. Pemberton of Atlanta, Georgia, sold the first Coca-Cola at Jacob's Pharmacy in Atlanta. A bookkeeper, Frank Robinson, coined the soft drink's name, and his handwriting is the one used in the Coke trademark to this day. And we can't resist bringing up the fact, as we do every so often, that Coca-Cola still does contain coca. And if you take the time to to apply the, uh, the concepts of elementary chemistry to the beverage, as William Poundstone, our guest of a few weeks back, did, you'll find out that there are quite a few molecules of cocaine in every Coke you drink. And no, it's not enough to harm you in any way at all. Uh, I just like the fact that the Coca-Cola company tries to cover it up and we keep uncovering it. Personally, I'm in favor of coca-flavored beverages, having enjoyed the tea, which is so popular in the Andes region of South America. On this date in 1972, during the Vietnam War, U.S. President Richard Nixon announces that he has ordered the mining of major North Vietnamese ports to prevent the flow of arms to communist forces fighting South Vietnamese and American forces in the South. On May 8th in 1980, the World Health Organization announced that smallpox had been successfully eradicated as a disease of humans making it the first and so far only disease to be eliminated from the face of the earth. Although the virus does survive in a few freezers and research labs around the world, and during the, the mania, the ramp-up for the, uh, the war in Iraq, there, was, uh, there were hints and assertions that Saddam Hussein might have it. I actually attended a medical conference in Sacramento where knuckleheads were proposing inoculating a million Americans uh, against this non-existent threat. This was, in fact, yet another example of PSYOPs, psychological operations being directed against the American public for the purposes of getting us to go along with what our leaders would like to do. And finally, it was on this date in 1985 that the first ill-fated cans of New Coke rolled out of a Coca-Cola bottling and canning plants. Again, evidently, it was the 99th anniversary of the original beverage, and they thought, what smarter way to approach the marketing of the world's most popular beverage than to change its formula. And you would think that the genius, the corporate genius that spearheaded this would be out digging a ditch somewhere, but no, no, he's still out there in corporate America pulling down a big salary for the marvelous things that he produces for his companies. 
Our quote of the day comes from Congressman Rahm Emanuel, who's not endorsed either Democratic candidate yet, but says, the way the loser loses will determine whether the winner wins. We suspect he might be right. And we're hoping that loser is Hillary. Our quip of the day comes from the humorous Ken Hubbard, who once said, Boys will be boys, and so will a lot of middle-aged men. Our statistic of the day, and I think we may have used this before, but if we did, it's worth using again. According to a 2008 survey by National Geographic Roper, nearly half of Americans between the ages of 18 and 24 do not think it necessary to know the location of other countries in which important news is being made. And the bonus bonehead stat to that is that more than a third consider it not at all important to know a foreign language. Our joke of the day is as follows. Man comes home, is greeted by his wife, dressed in a very flimsy nightgown. Tie me up, baby, she purred, and then you can do anything you want. So... The man tied her up and went out and played a round of golf. Let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. Week magazine. It was a good week uh, a couple weeks back for Jeffrey Metzger, CEO of the struggling home builder KB Homes. Jeffrey collected $1 million salary and a $6 million bonus after KB's performance in 2007, uh, well, uh, indicated a $929 million loss. You can say why these companies have to pay top dollar, though, to attract top talent. If you're keeping score, the average large company CEO collected $15.7 million last year in salary, perks, and bonuses. And it was a bad week uh, last week for America's fighting men and women when Republican presidential hopeful John McCain stated that he would not send uh, our forces to the Middle East to fight for oil again, which is interesting for two parts. First is likely story. Second is this is admitting that we're over there now for oil? It would seem so, and this would seem to warrant some uh, comment by the Bush administration, which apparently elected to say nothing about it. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for Las Vegas, when it was revealed that gambling revenues in the Chinese peninsula of Macau jumped 62% in the first quarter of this year to $3.8 billion, which is twice what Las Vegas took in during the same period. That's some good, bad, and ugly. All right, from the Only in America file, we have the following, which is now about three weeks old. Uh, the White House last month told a group of House GOP conservatives that may be forced to support a limited cap on greenhouse gases and, quote, avoid a train wreck of regulations involving climate changes. A range of options was presented at the meeting between senior White House officials and these Republican lawmakers that was aimed at gauging their reaction to a possible shift in Bush administration policy on climate change. The meeting was set up to float a few trial balloons, and it did not go well with some participants, according to a GOP operative. 
Some viewed it as political appeasement on global warming, noting that the White House may be now retreating on the issue. White House Press Secretary Dana Perino acknowledged uh, a few weeks back the administration was working on a new climate change proposal, but said no decisions have been made yet. Anyway, let's talk about some stuff we have not gotten to in the recent weeks. Uh, we wanted to talk about Susan Jacoby's new book, The Age of American Unreason. It was from her essay that I got that statistic about uh, the number of uh, Americans between 18 and 24 who don't think it's important to know the location of other countries. The thrust of her article and her book was that Americans are in serious intellectual trouble. Now, this is due to a virulent mixture, she thinks, of anti-intellectualism, anti-rationalism, and low expectations. What really struck me about her essay, which I picked up again a couple days ago, was the following. This is the last subject that any candidate would dare raise in the long and winding road to the White House. It is almost impossible to talk about the manner in which public ignorance contributes to grave national problems without being labeled an elitist. One of the most powerful pejoratives that can be applied to anyone aspiring to high office. What struck me about this article was that it was written no later than February. Apparently some uh, in the Hillary Clinton camp, camp must have read the article because, uh, you know, what term they tried to slap onto Obama in the last month? Well, no, he's just an elitist must say that I, I'm surprised to be agreeing with the Wall Street Journal, at least uh, the comments by Frank Thomas in the journal, who said the country's real elite are rich and conservative, and the growing aversion to thoughtful analysis suits this new ruling class just fine. Over the past decade, phony common men such as George Bush and Dick Cheney have turned this country from a middle-class republic to a plutocracy while pretending to be just folks. If you hear the term elitist, you can be sure the person hurling it is a phony, while the target is simply someone who believes this should be a fairer society. Bravo to the Wall Street Journal for that one. I don't think we quote the Wall Street Journal too often, but we do quote The Onion quite a bit. And I did have to confess to getting a big laugh over going to their webpage and catching the article titled, Al Gore Caught Warming Globe to Increase Box Office Profits. The Onion included a little picture of Al Gore with a flamethrower. <laughs> Captioned, Former President Al Gore takes a flamethrower to the Ross Ice Shelf in Antarctica to boost weekend ticket sales for an inconvenient truth. Anyway, uh, on this program we make a point not to be anti-intellectual. And certainly to not be anti-rational. Does that make us elitist? We certainly try to take the longer view on some issues than a lot of, uh, of talk shows. Case in point, last week we were mentioning the 40th anniversary of Joe McGinnis' classic, The Selling of the President. Being considerably older than 40, I made the comment to Ryan Todd during the break, who Ryan was prepping for his, uh, his show, California Police State, which follows on alternate weeks. Today, I believe, is Todd Urich with Hometown Atrocities. But anyway, I mentioned, gosh, 40 years ago, it seems like yesterday, <laughs> Ryan looked at me and said, I was born in 1968. And I know, dear listeners, that... A significant number of you were born in 1988. But we think that it is important to know where things are on the globe, and it's important to take a longer view to know, you know, why we're in the fix we're in today. And to, to better appreciate, uh, you know, uh, some of the circumstances we're in today, we do need to take a look back. We, we do need that perspective. A case in point, um, the Reverend Jeremiah Wright has been in the news of late as Barack Obama cut his ties to his former minister. 
And this, this might be a good time to mention, as someone did over dinner last week, that, you know, no, Obama, he, he was raised a Muslim. I said, no, I don't think so. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's a Muslim. And in fact, according to a poll by AP Yahoo, 15% of American voters believe wrongly the Democratic presidential contender Barack Obama is a Muslim. These rumors have been circulating for months on the Internet, prompting Obama to point out on numerous occasions that he, in fact, is a Christian. That's why he has a minister. We'd like to refer you for context in this matter to Robert Perry's article, which I believe you can find it either at truthout.org or consortiumnews.com. And what prints out is something like an 18-page article. Robert Perry, who's been on this show twice, starts out as follows. One of the advantages that the American right has achieved from investing tens of billions of dollars in media, from talk radio and cable TV to print and the internet, is the ability to define what is and what isn't a scandal, a powerful factor in determining who wins national elections. A media imbalance has propelled the rantings of Reverend Jeremiah Wright into the category of big news, effectively altering the course of campaign 2008 by associating Barack Obama with his ex-pastor's harsh and at times over-the-top criticism of the U.S. government. Perry goes on. However, it's not news that a viciously anti-American religious figure has invested billions of dollars in financing the U.S. conservative movement and put fat wads of cash into the pockets of many prominent Republicans, including members of President George W. Bush's own family. The viciously anti-American religious figure is the Reverend Sung Myung Moon. The Reverend Moon has paid Bush 41, W's dad, somewhere between $100,000 and $500,000 to come give speeches before his organizations. Said George Herbert Walker Bush at one event in Argentina, A lot of my friends in South America don't know about the Washington Times, but it's an independent voice. The editors of the Washington Times tell me that never once has the man with the vision interfered with the running of the paper a paper that, in my view, brings sanity to Washington, D.C. Noted Perry, while Bush's assertion about Moon's newspaper as a voice of sanity may be a matter of opinion, Bush's vouching for the Washington Times editorial independence simply wasn't true. Almost since it opened in 1982, a string of senior editors and correspondents have resigned, citing the manipulation of the news by Moon and his subordinates. The first editor, James Whelan, resigned in 1984, confessing, quote, I have blood on my hands, unquote, for helping Moon's church achieve greater legitimacy. The Reverend Sung Myung Moon, completely embedded with the Bush family. Does it even make the news? No, it does not. Thankfully, there's people like Robert Perry out there to do some real investigative journalism, and I would recommend very highly that you go to one of those websites, consortiumnews.com or truthout.org, and, and read this fine piece. Uh, Moon's been hooked up with the Korean CIA, the KCIA. He's been implicated in, in, in drug running, uh, money laundering, uh, bribery around the globe. He's a heck of a guy. And the part I like about his family values that seems to fit in so well with the, the Bush team is that he has been accused throughout his religious career, dating back to the various earliest days in the 19, late 1940s, of having a strange ritual attached to his, um, his preaching uh, this ritual is called Picarume, in which ministers purify women through sexual intercourse. 
In fact, in 1955, the South Korean government arrested Moon for allegedly conducting more of his sexual purification rites. No, this is the guy, this is the guy that you have to go go to the web to dig out a story on, whereas Jeremiah Wright is front page news across the U.S. We'd like also to refer you to the Vanity Fair article in the April 2008 issue titled The Gaza Bombshell. We keep hearing about Hamas. We keep hearing about how uh, the Israeli government is, doesn't like them. They're a bad bunch of people, yada, yada. This article explains in great detail how it was that Hamas came to win the election that took place in Gaza, an election that observers in the Middle East said should never have been held due to the fact that if they held it when they did, Hamas was going to win. Who pushed for the election? Why, none other than the United States government which was quite taken aback when Hamas won. What the Bush administration, with the help of the Israelis, has evidently tried to do since that election um, is basically uh, try and engineer a civil war in Gaza. By backing to the hilt Fatah, Yasser Arafat's old group that presumes to speak for the Palestinians in the West Bank, the plan was for the forces of Fatah at American behest to remove the democratically elected Hamas-led government from power. It didn't work. It hasn't worked. Fatah was driven out of Gaza. Anyway, article by David Rose titled The Gaza Bombshell Vanity Fair. Should be online. Anyway, speaking of the Middle East, we don't think it's a coincidence that uh, General David Petraeus, who came and spoke to Congress about how well things were going over in Iraq, uh, uh, was given a promotion. Petraeus will now be the next commander of the U.S. Central Command. Evidently, his predecessor, Admiral William Fallon, uh, well, there was widespread reports that his policy, that he had his policy differences with the Bush administration, which made his position untenable. So now he's been replaced by Yes Man David Petraeus, which I'm sure is going to turn things right around over in Iraq. And you know, we all this talk about how we're in there to stay and how we're in there to win this thing. Don't you think at some point someone should sit around and define what winning will be? How we'll know when we've won? We've been asking for that uh, for that on this program since before we went to war, and, and, we're, and we're still asking for it. I'd like to know every damn person in the media is not asking for that. Anyway, uh, let's take a short break and have a little fun with the topic of music, something dear to our, all of our hearts, I think. We'll be back with Gordon Uncle John Javna after a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. 